0: Hi, my name is Gary Myers. And I'm Joe Fontenot. We're the hosts of the Answering the Call podcast. And this is the podcast where we talk to people who are answering God's call. Today, our guest is Paige Brooks. He talks about how he balances leading multiple ministries while training leaders. And so, here's Paige. So Paige, you... We're recording. You are... um, you're a pastor, you're a chaplain, mm-hmm. you're a professor here at NWTS, and you're also the president of a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I have a few questions about that. Uh, number one, like how do you juggle all that, number one? Um, and that's that's kind of really what I want to get to, you know, because I think a yeah. lot of people find themselves juggling different things. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's an issue of saying no, Completely, or or whether it's just an issue of saying no to some things, or maybe making them work together. Mm-hmm. But but before we get to that, there's something else that um, that was really interesting to me. In 2011 2012, you were the pastor of a church here, right. uh, Canal mm-hmm. Street Church, and it merged with another church, yeah. which I imagine was probably a little stressful. Um, maybe some hurt feelings or something. I don't know. I'm just right. guessing based mm-hmm. on you know how these things go. And then you began doing church plants Mm -hmm. out of this. So you've got this newly merged church and then church plants. So what was the process like merging churches to begin with? Was that like painless or was that easy? Was it like expected or was it a nightmare?
1: Yeah. So in in my college years, I served as the minister of education at a church uh, back in Alabama. And uh, at the time, that church actually went through a merger as well. Um, they merged with my father's church. I was on staff at another church a couple of miles away from my father's church, and my father's church merged with the church where I was. Um, and there were relationships there, and, and um, the, you know, my father and, and my pastor were, were friends. So it really made that merger easy. So even from a, from a, like a college year's perspective, I kind of saw it done. I saw it done well. And so when um, when this opportunity came, uh, I had started Mosaic Church in 2011. We started meeting in an old Presbyterian church building in the evenings. Unbeknownst um, to me, they were losing their pastor. They were also trying to leave their denomination. And so they asked me to be their interim pastor. So here I was, the interim pastor of the old Presbyterian church in the mornings. <clears throat> then I was the pastor of the church plant renting from that Presbyterian church in the evenings. And so... I mean, it truly was like a, a, it's kind of a God thing because these these, these pe- wonderful people just kind of saw God working in it. And they said, hey, let's just join together and and, and make this happen. And the, the the even the Presbyterian congregation was was, was very evangelical. They were very Bible based. And so it just made it very easy mm-hmm. to, to bring the two together. And honestly, by that time, our church plant was running about sixty or seventy. They were running maybe fifteen or twenty. So we were certainly the overwhelming majority mm-hmm. coming together. But still, it was a great blessing. They made a great sacrifice of saying, "Hey, you can you can have the building, you can have the property," um, and so we were able to bring it together. So, uh, and I'm glad to say, you know, it was a process that, because of my previous experience, I was able to kind of guide it. I think, and hopefully in a, in a good way, mm-hmm. but we also had a lot of good people around, very prayerful, very mature mm-hmm. uh, leaders that helped in the process. And, you know, we, we, we honestly didn't have too, too many people that, that left or got offended. You're always going to have some but sure. just because of change. Yeah. But, you know, and, and even today, we still have um, a good majority of those original people. Uh, they're at the church seven or eight years later. So it's been good.
0: Were, were there warning signs or would... Were there warning signs that you um, were kind of watching for that you would have said that, like, if I would have seen X or Y, mm-hmm. I would have said, mm, maybe this isn't going to work?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly issues of theology or or views on the Bible, um, certainly missionality. Uh, that, that, and that was probably the overriding concern was, do we fit together missionally with our DNA? Because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm one of these guys that... that your 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 missionality drives everything. Mm-hmm. Even 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 in my own theology, I think our theology should be driven by mission. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if, if we didn't have those foundations there, then we, we would have put a halt to it. Yeah. Uh, and certainly polity, you know, there's some issues there they had to work through. But but all of it came together. And so, uh, you know, overriding concern though was was missionality. But you know, from the from the the legacy Presbyterian members they loved everything we were doing because we were already doing outreach in the community. and mm-hmm. We already kind of had our, our our young, fledgling church plant set up, mm-hmm. and they saw what was happening. So I think it, for them it was a good example to say, hey, that's what's happening. We want to be a part of it. You're fulfilling the mission that we have have had and that they have struggled to do. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it, again, it was kind of a God thing for, yeah. them, for them all to blend together.
0: I think that's a really good point because it seems like a lot of church plants are motivated by economic— or not plants, but um, mergers are motivated by mm-hmm. economic reasons. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, big old building, we need a building. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. do this.
1: And usually but, the big old building has few people in it. Sure, and exactly. And then there's another group that has a lot of people. Exactly. Kind of so together.
0: so mm-hmm. on paper, it makes sense. But right. like you said, if without that sort of commonality of mission and drive— mm-hmm. You know, you're basically just bringing chaos out together. Yeah, exactly.
1: And we kind of had that, too, because the the Presbyterian Church um, had very few people in a very large building. And, of course, we had more people. And so um, missionally it fit together. Mm -hmm. But you're right. there, There are some church plants and church mergers that happen merely because of economics or numbers or whatever it may be and eventually I would say those are doomed to fail as well because you've got the wrong motivating factor. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you've got two, for example, if you've got two dying congregations that Mm -hmm. think that they're going to be able to come together and have a really healthy missional congregation, that's most likely not going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. the laws of math sometimes do apply to church planning. (laughs) 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 Well, in this case, probably not that two, two negatives are not going to make a positive. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you really have to look at the missionality, mm-hmm. the DNA of both congregations. How is it going to come together um, in order to, to make it happen? You
0: wrote a book on this, didn't you?
1: Yes. Yes. What was it called? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for putting me on the it's spot. It's a plug. Yeah, it's, a, it's plug. a plug for your plug own book. Please tell own, me the name of your own book, please. Uh, pl- sh- shameless plug for my own <laughs> book. Anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's the subtitle is uh, "Church Mergers and How They Happen" or something like that. No, but it came out about two years ago. Yeah. You can find it. it's on Amazon.com if you'll Brooks, type in my Amazon. name. Um, no, but I, I wrote it with um, um, a guy by the name of Doctor Bandy from who's uh, from Toronto, Canada, mm. and uh, and he he he. he Co-wrote it with me in the, in the sense of um that you know we wanted to be able to to bring our experiences together. Bandy was a uh, kind of a church strategist up mm-hmm. in uh, Canada, and still is. Um, and we met just from some common uh, friends that we had. And then from all the things that were going on down here, um, you know when I was letting him know of what was happening, um he actually said, You know what? Years ago, I actually came to that Presbyterian church to do a consultation no with them. No kidding. So, yeah, it was kind of a, another God thing. Yeah. So he came down, and, um, and you know, as we were trying to kind of vision what uh, this book may look like, it became evident that we needed to combine our experiences both on the side with uh, myself um, as an experienced church planter, Mm -hmm. and then also him as a church consultant. Mm -hmm. And by the way, by the technology of Amazon.com, my book is entitled Church (laughs) Mergers, a guidebook for missional change. So there you go. Uh, It's available for $12.90 on Amazon. Um, So uh, as we were kind of putting this together, we we really wanted to think about how can we uh, guide a church through the process of doing a healthy Mm -hmm. merger situation. Because again, you don't want to have you know, where two negatives are going to try to come together to make mm. a positive, but we we really want to have something where we can give a guidebook to say, okay, if two churches or, or more wanted to to merge together, what does that look like, mm. and what type of process can um, a pastor or pastors guide their church through that? And um, and so since then, I've actually had uh, several pastors that have have emailed me or called me. They've gone through through the book, and it's been a, a very helpful guide for mm-hmm. them to understand that. Because one of the things we try to do is to on the one side, help churches look at their demographics, look at their base, look at what type of, of, of DNA and, and values are they establishing that's going to drive the, the organization. We also wanted to, to, to give some some, um, some good biblical DNA in there about missionality, but then also to think about, hey, you're bringing together two cultures. There's going to be grief there's going to be uh, a lot of change mm-hmm. that happens. Uh, you're going to have the early adopters. You're going to have the late adopters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really trying to bring it together in, a, in a, an understanding of the, the biblical, the missional, and as well as the emotional, psychological, and socioeconomic mm-hmm. aspects of mm-hmm. the church merger, how that happens. And so that was the intent of the book mm-hmm. and uh, and it's done really well, you know, for for the niche that it's in. Sure. uh for, you know, a very very small market. It's, right. it's done well and and I've been I've kind of been surprised and uh, every now and then I get a random email from some guy in in whatever town that has has considered merging a church and yeah. you know and I'm glad to help out with them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's interesting that um you guys did this merge which, which <clears throat> was a difficult it's just the difficult things change, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you have, your church rather, has since um, become a church planting church. Yes. Mm-hmm. So was that part of kind of the original DNA of let's do this so that we can, or is that something that kind of later grew out of a mm-hmm. need? How did that work out? Yeah, and
1: I think that's one of the finer points about the DNA that we tried to establish That from the very beginning, we let it be known that we were going to be a church-planning church. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning, um, with a vision, when new members came into the church, and even now when they do, uh, we constantly put out there that we're going to be a church-planning church and that we're going to be a a mission-sending church. So uh, people hear about it at the very beginning, even if if they don't understand it totally and understand that process, uh, we try to, to put that before them so they can, can mm-hmm. understand it. And I think even for our own church, it's taken a while to kind of get to that point where it's not just Paige because he's the pa- pla- pastor and he's been the past church planner that's doing this and mentoring mm-hmm. um, other church planners to, to be raised up and sent out. But um, recently in one of the church plants we just sent out, like our people showed up. Our mm-hmm. people showed up to help uh, with the launch of the vision night. They were there greeting, they were, mm-hmm. they were helping with childcare. they were helping cook the meal. Um, and, they, and, and, and it wasn't even at my prompting. In fact, mm-hmm. I showed up and I went, oh, they're here, and <laughs> oh, they're helping. And, <laughs> and, and so it, it just gave me a, a lot of joy um, to be able to say, um, look, look at what God's doing mm-hmm. and really enlivening people's hearts with mm-hmm. his passion for church planning. So yeah, we started out wanting it to be a, a church planning sending church, and um, we just had to slowly work it into the DNA. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's cost us because you know we we have not become a huge church um, because we we have sent out people.
0: So this was this was going to be my question. Like, mm-hmm. it sounds like you have generally, spe- <clears throat> excuse me, generally speaking, you have buy-in from your yeah. congregation. Mm-hmm. Your con- like your congregation just kind of showed up without your prompting. They want to to make this impact in the world. Mm-hmm do you think that there's kind of a sweet spot as far as attendance, at least for you? Yeah. Like, for mm-hmm. instance, if you, you could probably, I mean, there are ways to get more people in, mm-hmm. you know, um, but there, but it's much harder to get people who are bought in.
1: Yes. Right. You know,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's kind of like a cap, a, at least a mm-hmm. healthy cap for your group mm-hmm. um, of numbers that like this works, this mm-hmm. is when we need to start looking to replant?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, for us, the sweet spot is is probably one hundred and fifty to two hundred. Uh, that's kind of in a very practical way, like financially, numbers wise, sure. staff support, ministry support of where we felt like we could we could do that. Now we haven't always gotten really to that point before God opened up another church plant to be able mm-hmm. to send out because a lot of times we just trusted the Spirit mm-hmm. <laughs> to do this and then be able to to send people out. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's kind of our, been our goal, mm-hmm. and then we've tried to find that. And especially here in the New Orleans area, and this mm-hmm. is where, you know, every church planner needs to, like, look at your city, look at the demographics and see kind of what, what they've got going on. Um, but for, for here in New Orleans, it's often said that New Orleans is, ma- is a large city made up of really small cities. Yeah. Um, we, uh, which interestingly, by the way, uh, you know, New Orleans, when it originally developed, was a, a city of small cities. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you and, and it was based a lot on um, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the Irish Channel. You had mm-hmm. certain... Uh, You know, of course, the French Quarter, You had the the Spanish section, and on and on. It's it's gone. And even today, there's still kind of that mentality in the city. So in the urban area, uh, and I I would say this across the country in the urban areas, uh, I think that the the smaller the churches, the more impact they're going to have because Mm -hmm. in in urban settings, you kind of have to be small, flexible, agile, and adaptable. Mm -hmm. In the suburban settings, where it's a little bit more monolithic, you can probably have churches and church plants that that maybe grow to a little bit larger size Mm -hmm. before sending out, Mm -hmm. or they can sustain that size. Um, But I mean, for example, like here in in New Orleans, I mean, quite literally, the the physical capacity of a lot of our inner city churches is maybe 200, 250 people Mm -hmm. seating wise. Like Mm -hmm. you just can't physically have more than that in the church building. Yeah. If you go to two services, you can probably have more, but you know, there's only so much you can do in that small little plot of land. Like in our church, Uh, the historic Canal Street Church uh, that's been around for nearly uh, 170 years, we have no parking lot. I mean, it's all on-street parking. But that was because the church was built in a a day and age where that's what you did. You walked everywhere in your neighborhood. So anyway, all that to say, that has certainly now influenced us to where we're thinking, okay, let's let's plant very neighborhood-focused churches. Mm-hmm. Of course, in New Orleans, we call neighborhoods f- Fauburgs. <laughs> so we're trying to plant Fauburg-focused churches where it's very much in the in the city. And, we, our, and our mentality is not that we want to grow a, a church to 1,500 or 2,000, but mm-hmm. we want to get to a very healthy spot and then be able to send out others in a church plant.
0: What is the vision that you um, basically come to or coach these people who are going to be taking over these churches? So, for instance, like a very natural vision, I think, is... Um, I think maybe even somebody like Mark Driscoll said it one time, like every person matters. Therefore, the more people we have, the, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of idea, this direct relation to, to people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, numbers are, are wrong, but how if it's not numbers, mm-hmm. how do you get them to rally around the right vision?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I think that's probably one of the, the challenging parts and where you really do have to um, trust the word, Mm. Trust the Spirit. Um, trust that God is moving in the congregation to fulfill that vision for whatever uh, God is giving that that congregation to, to fulfill. Um, you know, I, I very much believe in in the spiritual gifts and uh, God gifting every single congregation. when i when I go into First Corinthians and I look at some of the the language they are used for spiritual giftings, mm. I think that God not only gifts individuals but also churches for the particular charisms that they that they need to have for their mm-hmm. particular ministry. So if, if, if they're in a certain area that, say, for example, needs a lot of mercy ministry, God's going to provide a lot of, of mercy ministry, mm-hmm. um, spiritually gifted people that are equipped in mercy to be mm-hmm. able to do that. Same thing with evangelism or whatever it may be. Certainly there's a balance to that mm-hmm. in every single church family. But um, this, this is why I think that every congregation kind of has to pray, discern, uh, what it is that god 's leading them to do mm-hmm. for that mission, so the mission for one church is not going to look like another church, uh, but you know for us it was a a period of just preaching the Word, explaining how uh, you know God wants us to to be involved in church planting and evangelism and discipleship and um, and, and having a vision for raising people up just like Paul did with Timothy, raising mm-hmm. them up, mentoring them, pouring into them, and then sending them out um, and i 've I think probably here's the, the the biggest thing. I've literally gotten up in front of my, my church family and said, um, the kingdom of, of God is all about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And if God wants us to send out people, mm-hmm. even at the cost of numbers and finances and energy mm-hmm. and spiritual giftedness to us, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Mm-hmm. And so our people have, for the most part, I believe, have have latched on to that idea. And so... Um, and so they, they, I think they really do have that mentality as well mm-hmm. and that type of, of self-sacrifice uh, mentality so that if we are sending people out, then they realize, hey, this is what the kingdom is all about and yeah. we want to send people out. And I think that's been the biggest help to fulfilling that vision more than anything else.
0: Something I find interesting is you said you talked about discerning the mission of mm-hmm. the specific church. So different churches have different missions and one of, your, one of your hats is you are the president of the Restoration Initiative. Mm-hmm. What's the full name? It's Rick.
1: Yes. Uh, so it's the Restoration Initiative for Culture and Community.
0: Okay. I always forget, was it two I's or two C's? But yep. mm-hmm. I can remember Rick um, and restoration. So, so, so that's kind of in a lot of ways mm-hmm. what your church is doing. Now it's a separate right. entity, right. isn't mm-hmm. it? Right. But at the same time, it's doing a lot of the same needs because it's a counseling center mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, how do you balance? Um, how do you balance all that? How do you balance being the pastor? How do you balance being the president of this nonprofit? How do you balance then being a chaplain, which we haven't even talked about, right. and then also being <laughs> a, a professor, uh, ministry-based professor, which is yeah. kind of a recent change, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Previously, you were um, just
1: full professor, full yeah, professor, at the okay. Time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right.
1: Yeah. How? It's 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 a very carefully <laughs> <laughs> it's a juggling act you know. Uh, no, I so I think that some of this does have to do with giftedness and a person's charisma in a certain sense. But um I, I and so I preface this by saying in some ways this is my 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 giftedness mm-hmm. but this is also my weakness. Mm-hmm. And everybody has their giftedness and everybody has mm-hmm. their weakness and and oftentimes your your greatest Strength mm-hmm. can also become your greatest weakness, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, I just mm-hmm. love creating. God's called me to kind of a, uh, <clears throat> I, I say an apostolic ministry, but in the sense of like, uh, you know, as the apostles started things and mm-hmm. and planted churches and started yeah. ministries. That um, I think I think if you understand that spiritual gift in that type of sense, mm-hmm. that we have now church planners who are. In a, in 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 an essence, in that apostolic gifting, in the mm-hmm. sense that they go out and start things, I think that's a good way to understand that spiritual gift in mm-hmm. contemporary times. And you know, just from early on, I've I've been one that I like creating and I enjoy starting ministries. And so God's, you know, thankfully gifted in those areas uh, in some ways. Doesn't mean there's been a lot of struggle. Mm-hmm. Certainly been a lot of um, of tight times, but uh, I've enjoyed that. And mm-hmm. I think the, the 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 biggest thing is that as the ministries have, have continued, is that I've got a lot of good people that God has brought around mm-hmm. in order to do that. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of the figurehead of a lot of these different ministries now. I've got good people in place that are running them that, that early on caught the vision, and they have grown and they've changed and they've led uh, just as our ministries have continued mm-hmm. to grow. And so I think that's a, a huge lesson in leadership mm-hmm. is just having the right people in the right places to be mm-hmm. able to lead the right ministries.
0: And I think, I think that's totally true what you said about like the different giftings because, you know, you could have an entrepreneurial type of person who is much more comfortable with a very Mm hands-on, like micromanagement is, is a bad word, but I don't, so I don't mean micromanagement, but I mean like they just thrive by really digging in, Mm -hmm. but that's the kind of thing you can't sustain. No. You can't sustain Mm -hmm. multiples of those because then you're very conflicted. So. Mm. When did you know or how did you figure out that you were both an entrepreneur but also a kind of person who doesn't need to have their hands in there, who can, who can mm-hmm. essentially be this figurehead?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, and you're right. I think there's a sweet spot. There's a balance there that has to happen where um, once you see it being able to be released and functioning with kind of systems and, or, and, and the organization that you've set up, um, I think that's the point where um, the, the the leader has to say, okay, I've got I've got to release this and, mm-hmm. and be able to to, to to let go of it. And, and a lot of that has to do with, again, with calling and giftedness. There are some people that, yes, they thrive, getting into the details, getting into the organization and working it you know you got those operations type of people and and this gets back mm-hmm. to to giftedness spiritual giftedness you know paul wrote for those that that have the gift of leadership let them lead for those that have the gift of administration let them administer and praise god for those that like to administer mm-hmm. right cuz they they often kind of come behind people like me <laughs> mopping up and and mopping putting it up. together uh you know the, the the wild ideas that we have but um but you know when there's that, that point where you do have to release and let go and allow that, that ministry just to to what to happen. And by the way, I'd say this, not just in the multiple ministries that we have, but, but even a pastor in a church. Sure. You might start a ministry team or you might start a, a community group or whatever it may be. And, you know, there's a time to be able to release and empower other people to do that. Because I, I go back to Ephesians uh, 4 mm-hmm. where uh, Paul is in the very first couple of verses there from verse 7 on to 13. You know, he's called these certain ministries, the apostles, prophets, teachers, leaders, uh, and pastors to be able to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so all of us have to find that, that time mm-hmm. when the Spirit's saying, mm-hmm. okay, you you are equipping now, mm-hmm. you can release and let go so that mm-hmm. other people can, can take yeah. over the ministry.
0: So, I, So I have a really practical question. You mentioned mm-hmm. there's so so for somebody like you, there's always this person that comes behind and mopping up, kind of, yeah. y- you said mm-hmm. that, uh, the administrative person who's probably going to be more detail or task oriented or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, how do you make sure that person is fulfilled? So for instance, that person is often a silent person or right. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. They don't get seen a lot of times and they are probably pretty good at finding order, mm-hmm. you know, generally. And so they're going to be fixing problems, right? Mm-hmm. So, what I hear is a lot of potential for you know bitterness to happen, mm-hmm. or just a little bit of resentment. Or, how do you ward against that? What do you What do you do for that?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, personally, I, I like to say that in our in our ministries that praise flows down and problems flow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons I say that is because um, you know if, if they're going to hear me say anything. I'm going to try to to give the praise and give the thanks and and give credit where credits due. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I try. Even though my staff will joke with me about this, I really do try to empower and um, and give them thanks for the work that they do. I mean, I'm I'm not the one doing it, and I'm saying it right now publicly. I'm not the one that's doing it. They're the ones that, that do it. And um, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to let that praise flow down. If they got problems, then that's kind of my giftedness. Okay, bring that up to me. Mm-hmm. Let's problem solve. Let's try to to make it happen. Um, as best we can given the circumstances that are there. But also I think um, these, like what you're touching on, has probably been one of the hardest lessons in ministry that we've had to learn, Mm. uh, especially in an urban context because burnout is so high. Um,
0: By we, you mean like you?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean myself and and our staff, Yeah. uh, because our our staff has had some very frank discussions Mm. um, about being, um, uh, the the term is emotionally healthy, spiritually Mm -hmm. healthy, Um, And so having the right boundaries, um, having the right, um, uh, having the right to say no to things, uh, being aware of people's, um, uh, of people's giftedness and also weaknesses. Mm. Um, You know, I think when you have people specializing in their spiritual giftedness and their passions, that's when they're going to go all out. And you Mm -hmm. know what, sometimes it, it doesn't matter what else is going on. Like if they're functioning in their in their spiritual giftedness, they're going to drive and, and accomplish whatever for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like for me, preaching. I mean, that's what I thrive on. Mm-hmm. And so whatever is going to go on, I'm, I'm going to get up and preach whatever it is on a Sunday. I'm mm-hmm. just going to get up and preach because that's what drives me. That's my giftedness. So tapping into their giftedness and using that, but also creating an organization and ministry that is healthy uh, to where you're not burning people out, and we've had to learn a lot of hard lessons uh, mm-hmm. with that. You know, one of the greatest greatest books we've done as a, as a church and as a ministry is um, emotionally healthy spirituality. Peter Peter yeah, so I was yeah. just about he's, that. Yeah. He's a pastor up in New York City. It's a great. Book. And you know, I've never been to one of the conferences, but we went through all the material. Yeah, we did have one of our pastors that went to his conference, came back, and he led us through that, and so. That has now really informed every aspect of our ministry. So I, I really can't recommend that that book highly enough to be able to help in that area. Yeah,
0: I totally. I read this book, and um, this was a very eye-opening book for me because I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, that's what's happening to me." Right. yes, <laughs> you know I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm so frustrated yeah. <laughs> or annoyed or burned out. You yeah, know? So I thought exactly. I found it a very helpful book. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 And we've we've tried to implement that even at the lowest levels with the ministry in the church. Um, and and yet, I mean, even just recently, we had people burn out of, of ministry, mm. um, and they're not totally out of ministry, mm. but they just burned out of that one particular ministry. What, and so, what
0: do you stop and change in your day, week, mm-hmm. month when when you see that happening to somebody? How do you address that as the leader of these multiple yeah, things? Yeah,
1: you know, and and again, this is probably one of our our greatest weaknesses that we mm. still try to work on sure. all the time, but we're trying to do a better job. I think from these lessons, even that we've learned not only years ago, but also recently, we're trying more and more to catch that before it happens. And Mm -hmm. so part of it is that we want people to be open and honest with us when they are doing ministry and they're feeling burned out so that we can step in and and, um, and be able to to correct whatever circumstances Mm -hmm. are there. Again, some of it goes back to functioning within their giftedness. Um, Some of it goes to the fact that in ministry, uh, even down to like ministry teams in the church, you've always got to have somebody that is Coming behind you, mm-hmm. that you're training and that you're raising up, uh, and it, keeping that balance, mm-hmm. you know that that's in life. I know some people have served in a ministry for years and they love it, but they also know how to say no. They also know how to say yeah. keep boundaries there. And you know, when the pastor comes and you're like, "Hey, would you do this for me?" and everybody likes you and you're such a nice pastor guy, sometimes they don't want to say no yeah. because you're their pastor, and, right. and you know, right. but you need to give people permission to say no. Yeah, and one of the frustrating things that happened after we went through. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality was that um, people started telling me no. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the Spirit is saying yes, and so you're <laughs> supposed to say yes with the Spirit. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I had to learn to accept that. And um, and even when they do finish up a ministry, man, we just lavish love on them. We yeah. thank them profusely. Uh, one of the things we've, we've started doing in our church is just really – Like if a person's kind of finishing a ministry, if they're transitioning in ministry, we recognize them in church and we thank them profusely for what Mm -hmm. they've done just to let the church know we've got a culture of thanks because you you are what you celebrate. And Mm -hmm. so we want to celebrate people Mm -hmm. in ministry and what they're doing, even if they're transitioning or beginning a new ministry. We want to celebrate that. So I think it's a balance of all those Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. that a pastor really has to um, and a ministry leader has to have a mentality for and implementing that in their church.
0: Do you, do you ever struggle with boundaries personally? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, ask my wife. I mean, you know, my wife's a counselor. You know, so, um, she, she tells me that all the time, and that's been one of the harder lessons to learn. I just turned forty-one this year, so I'm I'm, I'm at the the midpoint of my life and ministry. And it's it's a several several years ago, uh, John Maxwell preached a mm-hmm. sermon called "I'm Fifty and Reflecting," and he had talked about some of these lessons learned in his life, and so. Even though I never preached a sermon like that, I my my mentality last year was I'm 40 and reflecting. Yeah, and I think um, learning to say no, learning to have healthier boundaries, especially my personality type and my giftedness. Like I mentioned, that you know I'm I'm that entrepreneurial type, and I'll do mm-hmm. whatever. But uh, just for my for my own healthiness and for the healthiness of my family, learning to say no, learning to mm-hmm. say you know what I can't do that right now. Maybe later on, or giving it to someone else uh, that can 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 help in a ministry, I'm not the one that has to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I never had a mentality of, oh, I'm the Savior of the world and I have to be the one that does it. Never like that. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, I'm so passionate about what I do, mm-hmm. I just want to do it. <clears throat> but at the same time, I have to learn just because I have a passion for it doesn't mean it's the right timing yeah. to do it. Yeah. Or just because I have a passion for it doesn't mean that I'm the one that has to do it. Maybe yeah. God's rising up other people to be able to help do whatever that ministry is. Yeah. So I think that's been the hardest lesson learned. And I'm, I'm glad to say, I mean, I, hopefully if you ask my wife if I'm doing better with it, I think she would say yes. She's on the um, podcast next week. That's right. <laughs> that's right. To mop up everything that I've said this week, really what my husband meant was. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, I think we, you know, we're probably in the, the better season of our lives um, in ministry, as a family, in our marriage, um, just because we've learned those lessons mm-hmm. and we've, mm-hmm. we've tried to implement those healthy boundaries.
0: Yeah, when I when I became aware that boundaries were, like, a thing, like, personally, mm-hmm. um, the biggest thing I struggled with always was, like, saying no to good things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people in ministry scenarios see that this is a good thing. I have a right. passion to see this happen, you know, whether it's service or teaching or whatever. And so they do this, and, they, and it's good, so they just do it and do it and do it, and then they get burned mm-hmm. out. Right. right. Do you... Do you find that there are certain warning signs, and it could be different from person to person? But mm-hmm. like, like, how does a person in your position spot somebody who is not really have boundaries mm-hmm. and needs? And then, and then, the follow up to that is like, what do you do about that?
1: Yeah, there are certainly signs like um, uh, anger, mm-hmm. uh, even depression, sadness that can can mm-hmm. happen from that. A lack of drive. Um, you know, all the things that we sometimes look for when we see like depression or something Mm -hmm. sometimes spills over from, from burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. and so when, when noticing a change in a person's uh, personality or their mentality, but then also think a lot of times when you see a person for only an hour or two at church a week, you don't pick up on those things Mm -hmm. all the time. And so, uh, you know, I think some of the lessons that we've had to learn are things like, okay, if, if these two or three people are the only ones doing that ministry, then Mm -hmm. why aren't others involved? Why aren't others stepping up? And I think that's been a hard lesson that we've had to learn to to observe. Mm -hmm. And even though they might have a passion for ministry, say, okay, the healthiness is having Mm -hmm. other people around you to where you're not doing this every single Sunday. That's one thing. Uh, But then also asking other people around, hey, how's so-and-so doing uh, do you think they're okay? And, and not mm-hmm. not ask, asking in a gossiping way, mm-hmm. but I mean, sometimes I, I would come up to people and say, hey, as a pastor, I'm just asking, making sure that they're all right because we want to create a healthy space mm-hmm. and to say, you know, how is Joe doing over here or how is Mary doing over here? Um, and, and just trying to create a, a, a healthy space for people to be honest mm-hmm. and communicate to our ministry team leaders. If you see people burning out or if you yourself are burning out or if you feel like you're mm-hmm. burning out, let us know. You know, at the um, a couple of years ago, as a part of my chaplaincy ministry, I deployed, and um, in that year long deployment, kind of towards the end of my deployment, um, I, I got burned out. Mm. On the one side, I mean, this was about month ten. And so
0: it, you got burned out from being away, being open, yeah. over there,
1: yeah, and and just tons of counseling yeah. that I was having to do. Yeah,
0: and where was this? Can over you in say Iraq. Iraq. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I was the. I was uh, the latter part of our deployment, I was at the U.S. Embassy as, as, the, um, mm. as the, the chaplains and military personnel that were around on the base uh, that surrounded in the green zone of the U.S. Embassy.
0: What's the green zone? I always forget.
1: This. I'm sorry. Uh, the green zone is, sorry. yes, that's this military terminology that sometimes I have to translate. Green zone was a blocked off area around the government buildings uh-huh. in downtown Baghdad okay. uh, back during the war. Um, and so it was a large security zone. Uh, and they called it the green zone uh, where all the us military personnel so it's kind of like the
0: demilitarized zone yeah basically exactly okay. exactly
1: yeah all right, all right so all right. it was a have heard this before
0: i just never could remember what it yeah, was yeah yeah
1: and, and and there was a lot of not only embassies but also gover- uh iraqi government buildings uh-huh. and so they kind of blocked it all off and you know you had to have a security pass to uh-huh. get in and high security and all that type of stuff okay. so pretty pretty large area in yeah, downtown baghdad stressful. yeah certainly was and, um, and so literally at the, at the, towards the end of that deployment, even though I knew in a month or two I was going to be coming home, I'd have time off, I'd have a break uh, to recover, so I kind of pushed it to the very end. But when people would be coming in to, to get counseling in my, in my, in my chaplain's office, um, they would be saying things like, well, you know, my, my wife left me, I haven't talked to my kids and, you know, uh, things like that. And then they would tell me some of the things that they had done in my inner voice. Thankfully, this never came out. But my inner voice was things like, well, you probably deserve it because of the situation you've allowed yourself to get into. You know, you haven't been the best husband, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. You know, thankfully, that never came out. But I realized one day, that's not good self-talk that I'm having in the back of my head.
0: Right, and it's so, creeping in. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so <clears throat> I did take measures kind of towards the end of my mm-hmm. my deployment to make sure that I was maintaining my healthiness, you know, I was taking a little bit more downtime as much as I could being mm-hmm. in a, in a deployed military environment. But I think that also leaders have to have self awareness enough to say, wait a minute, my passion is going down. Um, my attitude is, is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm experiencing depression or sadness or hopelessness. Uh, any of those types of emotions that start to, to crop up can signal that we're we're getting to burn out. Mm-hmm. And so I think being self-aware enough to recognize it in ourself as well as others is, is what um, an emotionally healthy leader will do in a ministry.
0: Can you teach self-awareness? Like, so this is a question I've been having for a long time because you see somebody who's not self-aware. Mm-hmm. They can't self-correct because they're not self-aware. They don't realize there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Can you, is there a way to teach somebody to be self-aware? Have you found, or is that something that it's really just the kind of the job of a self-aware leader to sort of, I guess gatekeeper is the wrong Mm -hmm. word, but to kind of help raise up other self-aware leaders and say, like, if you're not self-aware, maybe you're not a really good leader. I mean,
1: yeah. Man, I found that spiritual two by fours up to upside the head really <laughs> help in this issue of being self aware. You know, some, sometimes God has to bring a spiritual two by four to to wake you up, uh-huh. and then sometimes God uses other people to to wake yeah. you up in that self awareness. No, I th- yeah, I think you, you're onto something with this, and that is um, there has to be an, a, a start. You know, the pump mm-hmm. has to be primed in mm-hmm. some way to help a person understand, wait a minute, how can I be self aware? Mm-hmm. Do I need to be self aware? And um, and it's been through various influences in my life that I think I, I kind of developed some of these skills. Um, mm-hmm. and, but but a lot of it, I think, to be able to get that pump primed to where a person recognizes that is by having people that are honest around you, mm-hmm. being able to pour into you. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is where having the accountability, having a mentor, um, really really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think once that goes on, that you you begin a um, a process of being self aware. In the sense of okay, you're reading other people. How are people responding to you? Uh, and it's developing friends and accountability partners mm-hmm. that are going to be honest enough to be able to tell you, hey, you're coming across this way, or you know, you need to you need to handle something differently. Even your own inside emotions. I think this is where you know uh, reflecting spiritually uh, through the Word, uh, through prayer, through um, through learning from others, whether it be from books or blogs or Hey, great podcast like this one or whatever. Thanks for the um, You're welcome. Good plug there. Uh, to, to where um, you can have the skills in your own self, in your own mind, to evaluate yourself. But again, I mean, I think it's it's, it's a cross between being able to be spiritually connected with God, spiritually connected with others, and then also with yourself.
0: So, so it's kind of like this matrix of feedback,
1: it really I mean, is. You've got people,
0: yeah. you've got God, you've got your you're listening to these things that are happening in your own head, which is mm-hmm. kind of goes back to that Peter, I never remember his last name book. Um, Peter There yep. That that one um, about the emotional, healthy spirituality. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. kind of blending the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's so huge because I think a lot of times, a lot of times, like like the old saying, we are our own worst mm-hmm. enemies. Yes. You yes. know, mm-hmm. but but if we can fix that, then, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or if that can be fixed rather
1: um, that's huge. Yeah, and and I will say this too. Like, I, I go back to, I believe it was Augustine's quote, uh, to know yourself, you need to know God. Mm. In some ways, to know God, you need to know yourself. But how do you know yourself? Well, it starts in the Word. Mm. How do you know God? It starts in the Word. And And once you have an understanding there, we're able to properly see ourselves. And then once we properly see ourselves, then we're able to relate back to God and others because we have a good spiritual view of who we are at the most base foundation. This is,
0: this, is, this is a weird analogy, but I totally get this because what I'm going to say is weird because I was watching um, Jerry Seinfeld's uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, I think. I yeah, yeah. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever seen this. Yes. So he had on there um, the guy who played Kramer. Yeah. And a few mm-hmm. years back, Kramer was doing the stand-up. And he just wasn't really prepared, and a heckler got to him. And I think it, like, made the news or something, and he just snapped at him. Mm-hmm. And his reflection was he was being selfish mm-hmm. in his comedy, not selfless. And I thought that was mm-hmm. so interesting. Yeah. He wasn't trying to – he was so concerned with how they were going to laugh at him mm-hmm. that he wasn't concerned at making their life better through his comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. And, and I think that's so interesting when you think about, like, letting the word shape you. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole point of the gospel is that we're not good enough. It's not about mm-hmm. us. You know, our whole lives are worship God, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. restoration to God. And we're, like Paul says, on this ministry of reconciliation. You know, yes. it's all about others. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. the more you get that into yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you become less self-centered. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes pastors especially, we, we, we try so hard to be a blessing to others, we don't want to miss the blessing of having people bless us as well. But, sure. but it does come down to a very core issue of who we are being made in the Imago Dei, mm-hmm. that God has created us to be on mission to pour into others. God pours into us. We pour into others. And, you know, everything in your life gets convoluted when you make it all about yourself. You know, your emotions get yeah. tied up. Spirituality gets tied up. Even the work you do uh, just gets very convoluted because that the the, the, the the entire focus of who you are, whether it's on you or on, yeah. on others, Um, shapes everything that we do yeah it really does
0: well Paige, thanks so much for coming on the podcast this has been really helpful for me
1: yes thank you Uh, so much for having me
0: yeah hey it's gary and joe here again would you do us a favor if you like this podcast
1: go to itunes and leave us a review
0: this would mean the world to us thanks